Awesome. Well, what a delight it is to be able to share with you this morning. And um, I just want to start by saying thank you to Pastor Peter and Christine for giving me the opportunity to speak. I don't take that lightly that um, they would give me this opportunity and trust me to share with you. So um, pray for me <laughs> as I share. Um, no, well, let's let's actually pray together and um, just, I mean, already it's been such a beautiful morning experiencing, you know, God's presence among us and we'll just pray that he continues to to feed into this morning. So Lord, we do, we thank you for this time this morning. Gosh, what a beautiful space and experience of you we've had this morning. But we pray that that just continues, Lord, as we as we dive into the word and and as I share what you've put on my heart, Lord, I pray that you just use me as your as your voice this morning, Lord, to speak through me and the things that you've been revealing to me, let that become a revelation to to everyone here and whatever it is that um, that you've got for them this morning, Lord, I pray for such a revelation of you um, to come out of this morning. So I thank you uh, for that and um, yeah, just bless our time together. Amen. So um, you would have seen um, the title of this morning's uh, message, which is Don't Keep a Caleb Waiting. And being married to a Caleb, obviously, I, I have some experience um, in this particular space. So um, I feel uniquely qualified to share this message you, with you this morning. Um, so wife to Caleb and in becoming his wife, I've really learned a thing or two about uh, what it means to keep a Caleb waiting, especially as, I mean, it's so perfect that his offering message, he was talking about um, Akami because he loves food. And um, not only does he love food, like he's, I love food in that, like, I love really good food. Like, I love experiencing tastes and flavours and things that just, wow, you know, in your mouth. Whereas Caleb's more like, I need food to survive. I need food to get me through the day. I can't concentrate unless I've got food. So we, ha- we come to the to the, you know, the dinner table with very different sort of ideas about what food should be. You know, I'm like, let's make it nice. Let's make it look pretty. Let's make it taste as good as it can. Caleb's like, how can I inhale as many, you know, uh, you know, proteins and nutrients that my body needs at one time. That's that's how we sort of come to the table. Um, so I learned pretty quickly uh, when we got married that you just do not keep Caleb waiting from food. You know, when he, when he's hungry, he needs to eat, and it's 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 not it's not a matter of life and death, but it's pretty it's pretty close to it. So. You know, keeping him fed is a really high priority in our house. So, um, Josh, I don't know, the the next slide I've got here is just a sample of um, a day in the life of Caleb. So we've got here, you know, we start with breakfast, which is, you know, hopefully most of us enjoy a good meal at breakfast time. That's um, Levi and Caleb blowing out a candle on top of Caleb's breakfast omelette. So, um, you know, it's sort of a bit small there, but you can see the plate is pretty pretty high there. He, he has a 12-egg omelette, mostly egg whites. Um, then we add in, you know, mushrooms, usually about half a punnet of mushrooms, um, a, a, a strong serving of um, capsicum, tomato, a few herbs and bits and pieces because I like to bring out some good flavours into the meal. Um, so that's his, his breakfast. So it's, it's not a little... It's not a little two-egg omelette. It's it's a decent-sized omelette first thing in the morning. Then, you know, um, we get to sort of mid-morning and he needs to have a bit of a snack to, to keep him going, maybe some fruit, banana, an apple, something like that. I'm actually not sure what that picture is there. Is that when we were in um, Singapore? Port Douglas. Okay, so, oh, it's coconut, fresh coconut. Yep, so fruit. Fruit for a snack. And then first lunch you can see there is a decent-sized sandwich full of protein and as many vegetables as we can get into it. 
Then we move on to second lunch, which now that's that's just a, a footy lunch. That doesn't really cut it in Caleb's Caleb's world, but that's that's one of my um, special treats when I go to the football, get a, a beef roll with some gravy and mustard. So second lunch, that, that's probably by about 11, do you think? 11 a.m. in the morning, second lunch. Then we move on to our afternoon snack, um, some more fruit um, there, and then a smoothie. Uh, to get him through just that little bit extra to dinner. So nice big, uh, big smoothie. Then we have a nice dinner full of protein, vegetables, lots and lots of vegetables. And then usually after dinner, just to tide him through to the next day, has a bit more fruit uh, just to keep him going. So, you know, I learned pretty quickly that, um, you know, with that amount of food that's going in, you just you do not keep a Caleb waiting. He will um, he'll get really hungry. And there was a great example of this. We, um, this really... You know, Caleb usually is pretty good at taking care of himself, so he he eats pretty well. I don't don't really get to experience him waiting for food very often. But there was one time when we went to a wedding, and um, the wedding was sort of late afternoon, so we were like, "This is going to be the best wedding. We're going to go there. It's going to be, you know, I think it was like a four o'clock ceremony, something like that. So we'll get to the wedding. We'll do that straight after the venue, like the reception's at the same place. So we just roll from the wedding straight into the reception." We'll just go straight from wedding to food. He was, like, super psyched. Um, so we get, you know, the, the wedding's done. They go off to take photos. You know, we start, you know, enjoying a bit of the grazing table. You know, that's all right. But Caleb, you know, doesn't want to fill up too much on cheese and things like that. You know, wants to wait for the hearty sort of main meal. But, you know, he's slowly getting hungrier and hungrier. Like, usually, you know, Caleb, Caleb would, you know, eat dinner pretty early if we could. Like, if we could eat dinner at 4.30 every day, he would, he would love that. But that's not, you know, the norm for most people. So he sort of had to wait a little bit. Anyway, we're, we're grazing away and it's like, oh, like, I'm starting to get really hungry. Like, this is now just like wetting my appetite. Like, I need more food now. So then, um, you know, about an hour, hour and a half maybe, they, they finally opened the doors to the reception. We could go in and they had these beautiful long tables all set up. Like, sweet. Okay, now it's time for food. Well, we sit down, we're talking and talking and talking. Like, Where's the food? Where's the food? Where's the food? And then finally, we get these, um, these uh, entrees come out and it's set up in the style where you're all on long tables and they just put food out sort of, you know, sporadically along the table. So it turns out you're sort of sharing, you know, your entrees with six to eight people around you. Well, it turns out they've served us some entrees, but there's actually not enough for one per person when you, you have your six people. So then all the ladies are being super polite and we're like, oh, okay, we better feed our husbands. So we'll cut the slices in half and make sure there's, you know, plenty to go to the boys. You know, they're, su they're super hungry, especially Caleb. I'm thinking maybe I should give my whole serve to Caleb and just sacrifice myself, you know, just to make sure he's well fed. I should have, but um, I didn't. No, I didn't, you know. I can take a little bit for myself. Um, yeah. <laughs> so anyway, so the entrees came, went. By this, you know, we're, Caleb's still starving. Like this has barely touched his appetite at all. Um, and so everyone actually is getting a bit on the moody side. You know, everyone's getting a bit hangry. You know, where's the food and, and whatnot. But Caleb is like, he, he doesn't really get hangry. He sort of is a bit more like Samson without hair. He just gets really weak and <laughs> nauseous. And um, he's really, you know, just like can't concentrate. Like he's sort of like really struggling. And so we actually ended up going outside. We know, we're, we're like, we've got to wait for mains. It could be, could be ages. It's about, I think it's like 8.30 or something like that. Caleb's ready for bed, let alone, you know, having, having a main meal. Um, well, that, maybe that was me. I was ready for bed. Um, 
However, so anyway, we're waiting for these these mains. We go outside because Caleb is starting to feel so sick. He thinks he's going to just throw up or pass out or something. Like he's really unwell. So we get some fresh air, try to, you know, pray and get some supernatural um, energy reserves to be able to go back in. Well, anyway, the mains come out and, and everyone at the table is sort of thinking, mm, there wasn't enough per, you know, serves per person to have one per serve. So what's what's main going to be like? It's going to be any different. Well, it turns out it wasn't any different, just a selection of, you know, meats and some some veggies. Uh, but, again, not enough for a whole serve of, you know, so people are cutting things in half. One one of our friends on the table, he um, actually battles with, um, uh, I don't know if it's like kidney stones or something like that. Anyway, pork is a really bad thing for him. And he's like, I'm going to eat the pork because I'm so hungry. And we're like, don't eat the pork, don't eat the pork. But anyway, he, he dove in because he was so hungry. I was trying to feed Caleb as much of my meal as I could to sustain him through the night. Um, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah. Caleb said we pretended, we pretended to sort of you know help our friend out by saying no pork, but really it was just about us trying to feed Caleb more pork. Um, anyway, that that was a, a great example of um, you know when Caleb is kept waiting for food, it's really it's really not good. You know he he gets really nauseous. So I said he's like Samson without hair. He's sort of very weak and um, not anything like his usual extroverted bubbly self. So I've learned that it's very important to keep Caleb well fed. Um, and so I suppose, you know, what's that got to do with what we're talking about today? Well, I got you to read numbers 13 and 14. Those of you, it wasn't mandatory. I, I didn't want to do a, Kirsty read it. Kudos, Kirsty. And um, I won't say, I said I wouldn't single out anyone who didn't read it. So I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. Jasmine, did you read it? <laughs> you have an excuse. Okay, you have an excuse. Um, so why is it significant? Um, my experience keeping Caleb waiting. Well, what I wanted to explore today was a revelation that I had from God uh, while I was studying the story of Caleb in Numbers, where um, Caleb and Joshua were two men who were very familiar um, with being kept waiting for the promised land. So I want to start by just jumping into Numbers this morning. So we'll start at Numbers 13, 1, and I'll try and read through it fairly quickly, but I wanted to give us the, the story um, to start with. So the Lord spoke to Moses saying, send men to spy out the land of Canaan, which I'm giving to the people of Israel from each tribe of their fathers. You shall send a man, everyone a chief among them. So Moses sent them from the wilderness of Paran, according to the command of the Lord, all of the men who were heads of the people of Israel. And these were their names. So we have the tribe of Reuben, um, Shuma from the, uh, the son of Zakur from the tribe of Simeon, Shaphat, the son of Hori from the tribe of Judah, Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, if I get any of these names wrong, I'm really sorry. From the tribe of Ishkar, Egal, the son of Joseph. From the tribe of Ephraim, Hoshea, the son of Nun, which is Joshua. From the tribe of Benjamin, Palti, the son of Raphu. From the tribe of Zebulun, Gadiel, the son of Sodai. From the tribe of Joseph, that is from the tribe of Manasseh. Gadi, the son of Susi. And from the tribe of Dan, Amiel, the son of Gamali. And from the tribe of Asher, Sethir, the son of Michael. From the tribe of Naphtali, which we heard about last week. Was it last week? Yeah. Um, Nabi, the son of Voshfi. Yeah, Fofsi, from the tribe of Gad, Gil, the son of Machai. And so those were the names of the men who Moses sent out to spy the, spy the land. So, um, and it says there, Moses called Hoshea, the son of Nun, Joshua. Um, so we can see there, Caleb was one of the, the men that Moses sent out. So it says that, um, uh, that they went up, spied out the land of Canaan. Um, sorry, I'll just find where I... 
So Caleb was selected as one of the 12 spies to go and spy out the promised land, which was the land that God had promised to give them. And at the end, uh, so if we could jump down to verse 25, at the end of 40 days, there was the return from spying out the land. And when they came to Moses and Aaron and to all of the congregation of the people of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them the fruit of the land. And they told them, we came to the land which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of the Negev, the Hittites, the Jebusites, and the Amorites dwell in the hill country, and the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. But Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. Then the men who had gone up with him said, we are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought um, to the people of Israel a bad report of the land that they had spied out, saying, the land through which we have gone to spy it out is a land that devours its inhabitants, and all the people that we saw in it are of great height. And there we saw the Nephilim, the sons of Anak, who came from the Nephilim. And we seemed to ourselves like grasshoppers, and so we seemed to them. The NL tree actually translates that last verse as, next to them we felt like grasshoppers, and that's what they thought too. So they've just witnessed the miracle power of their God do the impossible in bringing them out of slavery in Egypt. Um, but as soon as they saw the people in this new land that God was, had promised them, had actually said they're going to have, they were full of fear and doubt. So Numbers 14 continues our story. If we head down to um, verses uh, 16... That's right. Um, no, let's go down to verse. Sorry, I know what I've done. I'm reading my slide numbers, not my, <laughs> not my verse numbers. That'll get you. Okay, so verse one from Numbers. So then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, Let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. Then Moses and Aaron fell on their faces before all the assembly of the congregation of people. And Joshua, the son of Nun, and Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, who were among those who had spied out the land, tore their clothes and said to the whole congregation of people of Israel, the land which we pass through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land, for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them, but the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Then all the congregation said to stone them with stones, but the glory of the Lord appeared at the tent of meeting and to all the people of Israel. So it's pretty, it's pretty full on. They're, you know, Caleb and Joshua have come back and said, this is the land just as God promised. It's flowing with milk and honey. It's a good land. It's full of good things, um, all that the Lord has promised us. And not only that, but the people there, their protection is removed from them because they don't have God. But God is with us, and so do not fear them. Um, and so the Lord then, 
it said, the glory of the Lord appeared. And so the Lord says to Moses in verse 11, how long will these people despise me and how long will they not believe in me in spite all of the signs that I have done among them? So Moses tries to defend the people. um, But if we jump ahead to verse 22, the Lord continues, none of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these 10 times and not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give their fathers. And none of those who despised me shall see it. However, in verse 24, it says, but my servant Caleb, because he has a different spirit and has followed me fully, I will bring into the land into which he went and his descendants shall possess it. So only two of the 12 men who scouted out the land saw it was a good land, just as God had promised. Only two of the 12 men actually came back and said, we should go up and take possession of that land because the Lord, if the Lord is pleased with us, he's going to give it to us. So don't be afraid of the people because we will just swallow them up. Their protection is gone, but God is with us. Only two men believed God would do as he said. Only two men who had seen all the signs and wonders that God had performed for them believed he could do it again and use his power and might to give them the victory. The other 10 men never mentioned the Lord or his promises. They only mentioned the, the great big men of the land of Canaan. In fear, they chose to focus not on the promises of God, but on the impossibility of their situation. So the rest of this, this this is just 12 of the men of Israelites. There were thousands of Israelites at that time who were going into the promised land. So they had a choice, these thousands and thousands of people, they had a choice. They could listen to the two men in faith and believe that the God who had brought them this far with all the signs and wonders that they'd seen could do it again and could take them into the promised land. Or they could listen to the 10 men who were cowering in fear and choose not to believe that the God who had proved his love and faithfulness to them already would continue to to bring them into the good land. And I find it interesting that we're, you know, and and this is a a summary. So there, there may have been people who, you know, chose to listen to Caleb and Joshua, but we're not told that. We're not told that there's two parties of thought, that there's two different groups of people who are saying, let's, you know, let's follow Caleb and Joshua and go into the promised land or, you know, or anything like that. We're, all we're told is all the congregation and all the people wept and grumbled and said, you know what, let's drop this leader and go get a new one, go back to Egypt because that, that seems safer to us than going and possessing the land of God. And so from the writer's perspective, the only people who were in faith in this situation, in this story, were Joshua and Caleb. Of the thousands and thousands and thousands of people who were part of Israel, who were God's people, who had seen God do the miraculous things that he'd done for them. Only two men of faith. Only two men believed that God would do what he said. And only two men who chose faith over fear. And two people who said, despite the circumstances, despite the odds, despite what we see in front of us, God is with us. And if God is with us and he delights in us, then he will give us the land, just as he promised. And I thought, just as a quick side note, um, as I was reading the story of Joshua last year, I was actually reading a book at the same time, which was by Pastor Joseph Prince. And he writes a book um, titled Give Me This Mountain. So it's all about um, Caleb's story when he actually sees the fulfillment of God's promise. And he says to Joshua, okay, I've spent five years fighting for Israel and possessing our land. Now give me this mountain, which is mine, which is what, what I'm entitled to. So that was the title of the book. Um, And he shares this thought on this particular um, 
you know, time where these men scouted out the land. He says, your perspective becomes your reality. The 10 who came back with a bad report said they see us as grasshoppers because they are so big. But the Israelites never actually spoke to the people in the land that we know of. They don't know that that's what they thought. That's what they assumed they thought because that's what they felt themselves compared to what they saw in the land, um, compared to themselves, comparing themselves to the giants. What they didn't know was that the reports of what God had done for them in Israel, uh, sorry, in Egypt had already made it to Canaan and they were terrified of the Israelites because of who God was and what God had done for them. So they, they weren't coming to this, they'd sort of just put their own filter on it. They'd said, okay, we look small compared to them. They'll obviously think we're really small. We're like grasshoppers. They'll be able to crush us easily. Whereas they didn't know that the, the people of Canaan, even though they were bigger and stronger physically, they were terrified of them because they'd seen God do something or heard God had done something so miraculous for the people of Israel. They knew that they didn't have that covering. They didn't have that um, protection from their gods. Their God was no, no match. Their gods were no match for, for the Israelites' God. And so they were terrified. So Numbers 14.22 tells us that God said, not one of the people who despised him, who chose fear over faith, would ever see the land that he had promised. And yet Caleb was set apart as a man of faith, a man who had a different spirit, who believed God's word despite what they were seeing, and so that they would get to see the land that God had promised them. They would get to go in and take possession of the land. But not yet. Not today. Not now when they are feeling ready and full of faith and full of vigor and full of energy and young enough to possess it. They had to wait 40 years. And as I was reading this moment in Numbers, what struck me about this story is that despite the great faith of Caleb and of Joshua, they didn't get to receive the promise of God on time because the rest of their community chose fear over faith and chose to cower instead of press into the promise of God. And it struck me that so often I think of my life and the things that I'm believing for, the, the promised land that I'm, you know, believing for for our family. I, I sort of see that as being separate to everybody else. Not, I don't think it's an intentional thing, but I think as a society, as a people, you know, um, of Western culture, we do think very, um, you know, individual you know, we think of things, you know, as being, you know, about me. Um, and so uh, we separate ourselves, I think, from, from, the, uh, from the things happening from everyone else. Not that we don't care, not that we don't, you know, um, believe with others, but there's this sense that we think of our journey as being separate to everybody else. That we, that the, the believing God and having faith for the things that he's promised is about our faith and just between ourselves and God. But my question this morning is, what if that's not true? If two great men of faith could be held back from the promised land because of others, what does that mean for us today? What role do we play in others possessing their promised land? And what role do others play in us possessing our promised land? And this morning, you know, as we sort of explore this, I want to clarify that I'm, I'm not coming today saying, you know, this is the fact and, you know, from now on you will not receive a promise of God unless you do it with others. That's, that's, not, that's not what I'm saying. Um, I, I'm sort of standing here today saying this is what I'm exploring, this is what I've been thinking about. Do you want to come on the journey with me and we'll go and find out what the Word says and, and see if we can't find out a bit of wisdom about, you know, what it looks like to do the journey of faith together. So, you know... 
in, in what I'm sharing today, I'm not saying there's only one way of faith and there's only one way to receive the promises of God. But I just want to explore this thought because this was such a revelation to me. And so I thought we could all go on the journey together and see if we can, you know, dig up a bit of what um, the word says about this. So in that, my first thought as I was thinking about this question was that we see throughout the word that individuals experienced victories often. Like it wasn't, you know, this story isn't, um, you know, the one way that throughout the word we see God give people victory and breakthrough. Um, so we know that from, you know, even the time of Jesus, you know, there was the woman with the issue of blood who came to Jesus and he said, you know, you're healed because of your faith. So she was an individual. She came to Jesus in faith and her faith made her well. Same with blind Bartimaeus. He was healed because of his faith. We're told in Matthew 15 that there was a Syrophoenician woman who asked, in fact, begged Jesus to cast out the demon in her daughter. And she was not part of the Jewish community. And in fact, Jesus was saying to her that I, I didn't come to save, um, save the Gentiles. I'm here to serve the lost sheep of Israel. If there was ever an example of God acting on the faith of one, this would be a great story of that because this is an example of someone who wasn't part of the Jewish community, who wasn't in covenant with God already. And so she wasn't entitled to the things that the Israelites were entitled to from God. And yet Jesus said because of her faith and persistence, her daughter would be healed. What's interesting, though, about this story is that she was not the one who was asking for healing. She was having faith for someone else. She was having faith for her daughter, and that's how she was healed. She was healed through the faith of her mother, um, not by her own faith. And we also know that God honoured Caleb's faith because he eventually possessed the land that God had promised. So he eventually went in, and it was because of his faith alone that he was then able to be one of the Israelites who 40 years later got to go into the promised land and claim that. So I'm not saying that all victories and breakthroughs are tied to others, but it's just sparked my curiosity about what, what God intended for us to learn in this story where two men of faith didn't get to go straight into their promise. So what we see in the story of Caleb and Joshua is that their individual faith was not necessarily enough for them to enter the promised land and possess the promises of God at that time. So what role do we play in others' victories and breakthroughs? As I think about this, I'm, I think that the Bible as a whole, we see that part of the narrative is that God, whilst God has a plan and a purpose for each of us individually, it is in the context of a broader body. So Paul shows us that we are individuals forming one body in Christ. So Romans 12, 4 to 5 says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. There's this, this picture that he gives us here, and again in 1 Corinthians, where it's like, we are one body. We, have, we are all many members, but he sees us as one body. Christ sees us as one body. So, for as, uh, so if we go into 1 Corinthians 12, it says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. But as it is, God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts and yet one body. So that was just a few snippets from um, 1 Corinthians 12 there. But again, talking about that same concept, we are one body in Christ, many members, 
um, but together we form one entity. Ephesians 2, in nine, uh, verses 19 to 22, says, So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being, dwelt, uh, being built together into a dwelling place of God by the Holy Spirit. In fact, the NLT says, so now you Gentiles are no longer strangers and foreigners. You are citizens along with all of God's holy people. You are members of God's family. Together we are his house built on um, the foundation of the apostles and the prophets and the cornerstone is Christ Jesus himself. We are carefully joined together in him being, becoming a holy temple for the Lord. Through him, you Gentiles are also being made part of this dwelling where God lives by his spirit. So in that, there's this sense that... Um, you know, we, we are one body and God's spirit dwells amongst us. And we were looking at this, we actually, you know, in our life group, Families of Faith, we were looking at this um, particular passage in Ephesians a couple of months ago. And I had this fresh revelation because I've always thought that, um, you know, when Paul talks about, um, do you not know that you are God's temple, your body is God's temple and his spirit dwells within you. I was thinking of that purely from the perspective of me and my body is the temple of God. But in, in this um, passage in Ephesians, it just suddenly hit me that it's saying we're carefully joined together as members of God's family together. And as we're coming together, we're, be we're being made a holy temple for the Lord where God and his spirit can dwell. And I thought um, it was so good this morning. I mean, every morning when we meet as a church family, I think we see that, that at play, don't we? But this morning, what a great, you know, experience of a body of believers coming together and seeing and experiencing the Holy Spirit work among us. You know, as we come together, God's spirit is able to dwell and we become the temple. It doesn't, this building doesn't actually, doesn't matter. We could meet in a park and have the same experience of God because it's him dwelling in us as we come together um, where that really flows. So um, thank you, Siri. Um, so that was a real revelation to me. And, I, um, and so it's true that while God's spirit lives in me, there's a sense where as we come together, he dwells in all of us. Um, what was interesting is I was talking to Peter about this and he flagged with me something that um, I thought we could share together because it was a great revelation helped, you know, feed into this. So we're going to do a short, short Greek study. Um, I don't pretend to be a Greek scholar, but um, I do have access on my phone to um, uh, some different translations and, um, you know, notes about Greek words and Hebrew words and things like that. So being in the New Testament, it's Greek. So um, in English, when we say the word you, it can refer to you as an individual, as in you, Caleb, are very hungry. Or um, it could mean you as in a group of people. So you, people of the congregation of Breakthrough, are very hungry. So in the Greek, there are two different words translated as you, rather than just having one word. So there's humus, which is the, I don't know if I'm saying that right, humus, the, the plural version of you. So that means a group of people rather than just an individual person. And sue is an individual you. So sue would be um, you know, if, if we were translating into the Greek, Caleb, are you hungry? Because Sue is that individual um, you. Whereas Humus is, are you hungry? People of breakthrough. Um, so there's that two, two different types of you. 
So as you look at the translation, like as you read different texts of the New Testament, sometimes the word sue is used for you as an individual. Sometimes the word humus is used as saying you people. So a good example of this is that throughout Paul's letter to Timothy, he's constantly referring to Timothy as sue because he's talking to an individual being Timothy. So I think um, uh, I've got a text from um, Timothy there that says, for this reason I remind you, which is Sue, to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. So there's, there's that word Sue in action. It's talking to a specific person, being Timothy. However, in, in this letter of the Ephesians that we were looking at, Ephesians 2, um, it's using the word humus, so that plural you. So if we, if we look at that verse again with that frame you know, in mind, it says, so then you all are no longer strangers and aliens, but you all are fellow citizens of the, with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you all are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So we're reading this verse not as individuals but as a body of people. So we're together. It's together that we're being built into a dwelling place of God. That's why when we come together, we become a place in which the body of, uh, in which the Holy Spirit can dwell. And so Paul shares the same in that verse 1 Corinthians 3.16. So where I'd always read it as me individually, it's actually written to you altogether. Do you all not know that you all are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you all? So the NLT translated, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you all? Um, so that was a real revelation to me. Now, maybe you guys already knew that this whole time and, you know, being so spiritually advanced, um, you know, you already knew that. But to me, this was a new revelation that I had in our life group. That I was like, oh, like he's not talking like just about me as the body, you know, of where Christ dwells. It's actually when we come together, he's talking about he's got a new temple and that's us coming together. So that was a real revelation to me, that sense of being together. And I believe that, you know, in these passages, these passages are just an example. But throughout, um, throughout the word, we're seeing how God is sharing a picture with us of how we do life as the body. You know, as we believe and come into God's family, we're becoming one, one, one entity, one body being, being brought together. And that's how he's accomplishing his will on earth. It's through us, his body, his temple, living and working together with that united vision and mission and purpose. We're coming together to do the work of God, not necessarily just by ourselves. So I feel like, you know, throughout the, throughout the word, we're seeing that we're designed to be together. We're designed to grow in faith together. That's why, you know, at Breakthrough, we're so passionate about life groups because life groups is a place where we're growing together. We're doing life together. Um, I believe we're designed to minister the gifts of God together. So when we come, you know, on a Sunday morning, when we meet together in life group, um, there's that sense where we're constantly um, being used of God because as we come together, we're the temple and his spirit, his spirit moves. So we can then be imparting to each other um, the gifts of the spirit. We're designed to serve his mission and kingdom together. So whilst it's true that a fa the faith of an individual um, you know, God sees and God, God really, um, he's looking for that. You know, he, Jesus was looking at the woman with the issue of blood saying, I see your faith. 
and it's made you well. Um, there's that sense where God really sees that and he's looking for that, that individual faith. But in the story of Joshua and Caleb, we're getting a slightly different perspective, which don't, it doesn't take away from, from that. It's actually adding to that picture where God has given us one, a, a picture of us that, that we're one body in Christ and that we're working together. And so if that's the case, um, you know, I was thinking if we're designed to live and do life together, then is it possible that we're designed to see our victories together? That we're designed to dispossess the enemy of the promised land and possess the land together? That we're designed to break through into the promised land together? I think, you know, when I look at even, um, you know, Acts 2, where it says, you know, they were all together at one time, and there was that sense that they were constantly in each other's pockets. You know, they were breaking bread together daily and things like that. They were coming together all the time. And it's when they were together that the Holy Spirit was released and they spoke in tongues and they were, you know, anointed to go and do the things that God had called them to do. And so there's this picture that as we come together, there's a, you know, there's a new release of the Holy Spirit that can happen. And so if that's true, could it be that my promised land and your promised land are one and the same, or at the very least, connected in some way. As I follow God and as I'm following the steps that he lays out for me and my family in obedience to what he's saying, could it be that they intersect with the pathways that your family is walking on as you follow the steps of God? And as I seek God for the plans and visions that he has for my family, could it be that they are connected to the plans and the visions that he has for you and for your family? And as I, as I pray for you and as you're praying for me, for our victories, could it be together that we, that we start seeing the victories that we've waited for? And I was thinking of taking this even one step further, not just about doing the journey together sort of in life groups and, and you know, with, as friends. But what about the church? What about Breakthrough Church? We're talking about wing, being one body in Christ. So God doesn't see us as individuals, you know, running around, um, you know, just doing the things that he's asked, to do, asked us to do. He's, he's called us together for a purpose. So if we're called to be here at Breakthrough together as one body with one vision and one mission for, the, for, the, for this area, for the people of Breakthrough, is it really that hard to imagine that God has a promised land for us to possess together? And so as each of us break into our promised land, could it be that we're all breaking into our promised land together? And could it be that it was, as we possess the promised land of breakthrough, we're actually possessing the land that God has for our family? When you think about how Caleb went into the promised promise land for them, he said he spent five years dispossessing the land of the people that were there and claiming the land for the Israelites. That wasn't just about him and his land. That was about the broader body. But as he did God's will for the people of Israel and, and breaking through for that community of people, it meant he could break through to his victory and, and he could break through and have the land that was promised to him, both as an individual and as a community. And I believe that as we lay claim to the breakthroughs and victories of our family, that vice versa, it will work as a breakthrough and a victory for the church. As we serve the church, there's victories for us. As we seek um, God's plan for our victories and breakthroughs, they will be breakthroughs for the breakthrough church because we're called together. 
And so could it be that as our promised lands intersect and connect in this rich tapestry of God's master plan, we're experiencing not just a personal victory, but a, a victory for the church. And as we experience a victory for the church, it's also a personal victory for us. Um, I feel like as a church, as, you know, as, as I was thinking about this, as a church, we're called to be a city on a hill. Does that not describe a good land where others are, are coming to, others are experiencing, you know, as we say, we're ambassadors bringing the breakthrough love and power of God to this community. So a city on a hill, a place where people see God's victory and see God's hand at work, a place where people experience the goodness and glory of God and have their lives changed. To me, that sounds like the promised land, the good land that, you know, even Caleb was sharing about two weeks ago. That's the good land. As we um, make breakthrough a place of the good land, a place of the promised land, is that not a place that people can come and, and experience the breakthrough love and power of God? And as we claim that land for breakthrough, as we claim this, this region of Bra uh, Bayswater, as we claim this region of Melbourne, the eastern suburbs, this nation, you know, as we go beyond into the world, as we're dispossessing the enemy of his hold on the land and we take possession of our promised land, we become the promised land for the people of Bayswater and the people of our world. And so I suppose, you know, as I look at the story of Caleb, I don't want to be known for being like the 10 who wanted to run back to Egypt in fear. I, I don't want that life. I want to be the Caleb who's choosing to focus not on the possibility of the situation, but on what God said. Amen. And so as we... Um, you know, as we follow the God who has already proven himself as the miracle-working, promise-keeping waymaker, you know, I want us to experience together. I want to do that with you. I want to be your Caleb, you know, as we do that together. I want to be a Caleb who stands by your side and says, hey, let's remember the promises of God. Let's remember that God is with us. Let's remember that God has said we will possess the land and go together and just possess the enemy and claim that space together. I want to be your Caleb standing alongside you all as together we say, God is with us. Let's go take possession of this land together. Yeah. And so, you know, that's, that's my, I suppose, my, my call for us today is let's go and do this together. Let's, yeah. let's take a hold of that word that says, you know, we're not, we're not just individually looking for our breakthroughs and our victories. We're actually together saying, what is the breakthrough? What is the promised land for, um, for breakthrough? as a church family, and as I look for that, as I press in for that, as I, um, you know, obey God in the steps to that, you know, then that will lead me to my victories and my, you know, um, breakthroughs as that intersects, you know. My family's planted here for a reason. My family is planted in this particular space because God has a, a plan and a purpose for me here with this body. And so likewise, as we press in for that, you know, God is working behind the scenes for the things that are for me and my family, um, the same way that he's working for the things of breakthrough. Because it, it's one and the same. I, in my mind, I feel like the picture God's given me is there is no distinction between you and me. There is no distinction between my promised land and, and your promised land or the promised land of breakthrough because we are one body together breaking into that land. And so this morning, you know, I, I've asked Cam if we can sing that song again, um, praise from this morning, because... What was really on my heart is as we do this, that sense that we're coming alongside together, we're saying together, God is with us, let's go and take possession of our land together. 
I wanted there to be a way for us to to symbolically do that together this morning. And what better way is there to praise into our victory, to praise into our promised land, to praise into our into our victories this morning. And as we do that, as we sing this um, song praise, I would love it to be that we're, we don't just praise individually. I'd love it to be that we're praising together as one body saying that I'm coming with you, I'm going to be your Caleb and I'm going to stand alongside you as we break through into the promised land. And as we do this, I want you to um, call to mind or even just, you know, even now, just as we're, as we're sort of finishing up and moving into this time of praising, even start, you know, asking God to speak to your spirit about what is it that He is saying is the promised land for breakthrough? What is the promised land of breakthrough? And start, start asking him to give you a vision and a picture of what that looks like. Now, I'm not talking about all of us coming with our own idea of what Breakthrough should be doing. Peter has been preaching great messages around how we are the favourites and where we go, we're taking um, the life and the, the blessing of God into wherever we are, you know, turning deserts into gardens. That's the call of Breakthrough, is to go out and to turn our cities and our suburbs and our our neighbourhoods into places of flourishing because we're carrying the light and life of God. We're turning deserts into gardens. So that that is what we're calling to mind this morning. God, what what does it look like for us to go and 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 go out into our you know where we work, where we live, and create gardens out of deserts? And as we're doing that, you know. How can we come alongside someone else and say, I'm your Caleb, let's go and do this together and claim that promised land together and see our own victories come through that. So let's let's stand to our feet. I'm going to pray and then I'd love us to just praise together that song called Praise. Um, as we're envisioning ourselves marching and praising into that promised land of victory, the promised land, the garden, the good land, and what that looks like. And, and, you know, I want you to, you know, not just get a picture of what Breakthrough's promised land is and turning deserts into gardens, but even come, you know, the things that you're believing for, I believe they intersect with what God's got for Breakthrough. So call them to mind and stand alongside your family and praise together. In fact, I invite you, you know, if you're comfortable, just come down and make use of this space down here as we praise and march together for God's promised land in this region, in this space this morning. So we thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for this word. Thank you for this revelation, Lord. I thank you that you are you are working a, a picture here this morning. You're working a um, an image for us to take hold of, Lord, that our promised lands are intersected, Lord. Our promised lands are connected, Lord. And there is a sense that where there is a win for breakthrough, there is a win for me. And when there's a win for me, there is a win for breakthrough. And so, Lord, I thank you that as we come together, all different people with all different, you know, situations and things that we're believing for, Lord, I thank you that as we come together, there is a place where you can, um, where you can minister. There's a place where you can work, God. There's a place where you can, um, you know, move us to go forward and dispossess the enemy of his hold on any, any, any area that we are a part of, Lord. I thank you that we, together, we dispossess the enemy 
of his ownership of this land. And we claim that, Lord. We possess that land, that good land for you and for your kingdom purposes, Lord, that people would see us as a city on a hill, a place where your light and your life is flourishing, a place where there is your goodness and your glory, Lord. There's healing, Lord. There's provision, Lord. There's freedom. There is breakthroughs of addictions and of of things that have kept people trapped for so long, Lord. I thank you that here people experience your goodness and your glory and step into a new um, lease of life, Lord, a life where they're walking with you, they're walking with your your body of people, Lord, strengthened and encouraged for the journey, Lord. I thank you that they are moving together, that we can possess your land together and see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living today. Lord, I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And Lord, as we come together, as we come together, Lord, and we praise, Lord, as we lift this shout of praise, Lord, let it be that we're calling to mind the things that you have for us, the things that you want us to take possession of, the things that are in your promised land for us to take, Lord. And so uh, as we come together, as we praise, let there be such a Church, Lord, for breakthrough in this area in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.